It's time for Words and Music, a series of casual conversations with personalities from the world of music, movies, television, and more. Now, here is your host, Loretta Alibons. Hello to our viewers in Singapore and around the world. You're listening to Words and Music. I'm your host, Loretta Alibons. The live tours have stopped. But this does not prevent us from catching up with artists we have promoted previously at LAMC Productions. Our guest today on the show is Ariana Savalas, singer, burlesque, dancer from the retro vintage band Postmodern Jukebox, founded by Scott Bradley. Today we hear from Ariana how Postmodern Jukebox was founded and where she was when COVID-19 hit her memories from touring Singapore and Malaysia in 2015 and 2016. Our chat will not be complete if we did not sneak in a question about her famous late father, Telly Savalas, best known for playing Lieutenant Theo Kojak. So let's listen. Hi. Hi. Hi, Lord. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. You're looking great. Oh, thank you. You're looking beautiful. Thank you. And um, Yes. It's, you know, it's so strange how we're connecting. And listen, what a time to be alive, huh? It's uh, <laughs> crazy, unprecedented, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, look at that. You have all of our fabulous posters. Yeah. You're amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, just, you know, make this a PMG kind of vibe, you know, for the, yeah. the words and music. And, um, yeah, so Ariana... Lovely to connect. So nice to see you. How are you doing? How is Singapore right now? We are under control, you know. Yeah. Things are under control. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> because we have, you know, we have a rather, um, you know, strict um, strict government and everyone yeah. follows the rules. Right. I remember being terrified if if there was like somebody spit out some gum on our tour of like, don't spit out gum. It's very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> like, you okay. get fined, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. good. Honestly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think a lot less people would litter here if there were such serious consequences. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned about, you know, having all these rules before you were coming to Singapore. Yeah. What were you told apart from the gum? I was told very specifically two things. One, do not chew gum and spit it on the street, which is disgusting anyway. You shouldn't do that. Um, and then the second one was you're not allowed to jaywalk. It's like a very, very punishable offense to walk across the street before you're allowed to walk across the street. I think that that was the main, those are the main two things that stuck out of my head okay. about, about our, uh, yeah, it was, it was much different when we went to, uh, to Malaysia, um, then that was a very, very interesting. Singapore is much more relaxed uh, in terms of uh, what we're actually able to perform. Uh, when we were in Malaysia, though, there were uh, some pretty strict guidelines on what we're uh, able to wear, how, how we're able to speak, things like that. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. Could you just um, remind me what they were? Because Yeah, so apparently, um, I think uh, there, there were quite uh, serious dress codes uh, for the women in particular. Uh, so that made it a little bit challenging for me. I think I had, to, I had to cut out half of my act because uh, 
most of my act is is burlesque. So uh, we had to find a, a clever way around that. Um, but I think there are uh, some regulations uh, about being able to see your neck and certain parts of your legs, uh, certain parts of your, I think, arms have to be covered as well. Uh, so we had to wear a pretty conservative attire. But I have to say, it's funny because you'd think that if um, you're performing for what you would imagine to be a very conservative audience, then it would be quiet and maybe sort of, you know, a, a different vibe than if you were in a, a more liberal place. But it was exactly the opposite. I don't think I've ever been more surprised in my entire life because when we went to uh, to KL, it was it was mind blowing. I mean, we felt like the Beatles. People were so crazy there. It was so much fun. It was the best crowd. Um, our Asian crowds are, are the best crowds in the world. Um, they're always the best. But that particular, those two particular shows in Malaysia, they're just they're unforgettable. Especially because we were sort of prepared for maybe a different vibe or something a little bit off the beaten path. And it was, yeah, it was incredible. Wow. What a surprise, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never judge a book by its cover. You know, that's, that's a good and, lesson. All right. And that was 2015. We played there twice, actually. So mm -hmm. we, on our last Australian tour, we also went to uh, Malaysia again. Um, so we were in 2015. That was my first time. And then I came back, I believe in 2018. Mm-hmm was was the last time we were there. It was about two years ago. So. Yes, yes. Yeah, we didn't amazing. do 2019. No, I don't think so. I think it was just 2015 the first time. Yeah. But yeah. what a small world. It's just so hilarious to be talking to you now after so long and in such a strange circumstance. Like, goodness. Gosh, I wished I, you know, sometimes, you know, we're all, when we're promoters, we're just rushing through the motions. Yeah. And it's also crazy because um, everything is just get the show done. We don't have some time to say hello right. to all the performers. Yeah, very rarely do we ever get a chance to actually spend time with the promoters. You know, it's a quick hello and a handshake. Well, no more handshakes ever for the foreseeable future. But um, and then and then that's kind of it. We do the show and then we're on a bus or a plane the next night. So. Very, very little time to hang out with anybody, unfortunately. So how are you coping now since there are no shows? Oh, it's, I mean, it's devastating. I, there's no, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, it really, it reminded me of that song, uh, you know, um, uh, the Miss American Pie song. It's like the day the music died when this all happened, because I was in Germany, I was doing a residency in Germany for about five months. And we actually, right up until the very end, it hadn't been declared a pandemic yet in Germany. Um, other places, it was really getting hit hard, but Germany hadn't been hit that hard in March. Um, and then we finished our residency and literally the day after, it was declared an international pandemic. And then I was with my boyfriend in Amsterdam and we didn't even know if we could get home. I get all these messages from friends. There was a travel ban and we didn't know if we were going to make it back or not. And ever since we've, especially in America, because, you know, other parts of the world have been fortunate enough to see their cases severely decline. Um, it's the exact opposite in America right now, especially in California, where I am in Los Angeles. Cases are just 
up, 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 up. So we've been in the house, <laughs> staying home. And uh, it's really, it's really tragic, especially for the music industry, because, you know, everybody else, you know, there are certain parts of life that feel like they're kind of getting back to normal. People are sort of going back to their jobs and, and their lives a little bit, right? Just tiny amounts of, of normalcy are starting to seep in. But for musicians, it's, it, we're still, you know, we're trapped until further notice there, you know, there, there can't be any tours until, until this is, uh, until there's at least some sort of positive, uh, incline in, in, uh, God, how do you even put that? Some sort of positive outcome. And vaccine. Because <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not only yeah, the musicians, yeah. the, the venues. Yeah. The oh, the venues, venues the crew. my mom just sent me an article, uh, from the national public radio about how, especially smaller venues are just getting annihilated here. They're getting hit so hard, especially because our government doesn't really support the arts in ways that other countries do. So it's just, it's very much like every man for himself in a lot of ways, which is really tragic. Wow. But are you getting any yeah. of the government benefits, the PPP? No, not not personally, but I do know people who are helped, but especially for uh, independent contractors, for musicians, it's quite difficult actually to um, to get government support or to apply for unemployment. Um, in other countries, again, it's just it's much it's it's certainly not easy, uh, but I think that in America, it's even more difficult in some ways than other countries because um, the government just isn't structured in a way that really supports people in a time like this, uh, in, in any sort of adequate way. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's very troubling. Because we was saw CNN that a thousand dollar payout every month. Did that, did that happen? It did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there are still, um, expansions on, because we're still in the, in the midst of it right now. I think that they're looking to expand that further and for a longer period of time, which is all great. You know, it's, it's, it's great, but, um, it, it doesn't cure the underlying problem, which is that, you know, people can't go back to work until this is solved, or at least until cases start consistently declining. Um, we just won't be able to, have any sort of long-term fixes for this it's a quarantine now when you go into a country so we don't know what's yeah. what's going to happen so if you book a tour will the whole entourage go into quarantine for two weeks that's a great question yeah if they're having they're having american artists especially coming to different countries it's like we're just keeping our eye out for what those policies are going to be. Is it going to be two weeks of sitting it in a hotel? You know, are they even going to let us come in? Um, it's, it's so up in the air right now. I think we're still, you know, when I was, when we were dealing with this in March, I was thinking to myself like, Oh, come June, July, it's going to be so different. Right. And now here we, are. here we are knee deep in it still. It's just, yeah. You know, the community cases, um, it's very low. It's below 10, I believe, which is great because... It's below 10. Yes, That's every day. That's amazing. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So we're very fortunate here because the testing is really yeah. um, diligent and we have a very yeah. good system where you are, you know, scanning and then everybody mm -hmm. everybody has to take temperature checks every day. Uh, we get We have right. something called the Ministry of Manpower and they do checks. They come into our offices so we had a check last yeah. week 
And You're kidding me. So they yeah, actually come in they and do. manage her. Wow. It's a real positive because they'll tell us, okay, you need to get your a sheet of paper, you need to get your list, put all your staff names, make sure they take that list of temperatures down. And then we have to scan yeah. the app where you enter and wow. exit. And this is for every, That's not just for wild. officers, but all shopping centers, all beauty. Really? Everybody has the app. That's incredible. I did not know that. That is so wild. Yeah, it's... it's That's so great. God, if we try to... It's, it's so... It's so frustrating in America because there, you know, there is a, I wouldn't say a, a large group, of people, but a substantial group of uh, Americans that really feel like their rights are being infringed upon with, with mask wearing and with all of these mandatory stay at home orders, this and that. And it's like, you know, you can have a certain amount of sympathy for some of these people because obviously people are hurting economically It's you know, they're their businesses are closing or they're suffering or they're, you know, they don't know where their next paycheck is coming from. So it's completely, uh, at least some of it is entirely understandable, but it's just so much of it is just cutting off their nose to spite their face. Because if we had a system similar to that, I mean, I, I can't see any downside to that. It just seems like it's such an amazing system to keep things under control. Let's see when we can open for business, you know, because yeah, we're, we're like, yeah. y'all, there's no shows here. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are probably at a certain, so shopping malls are open. So that's much further than we're at. Yeah. Um, but then you still aren't able to have shows or any sort of festivals, things like that. Nothing. Like, I guess uh, that's understandable. Yeah. I was at Marina Bay Sands yesterday, the, the yeah. casino. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it, beautiful it, place in the world. it was like empty. I mean, empty. that place yeah. would have been like packed. <laughs> Yeah, you can see people. That's the one with the massive rooftop, right? Yeah, yeah. I went up there once oh, and nice. had a massive heart attack because it's so high. It's just as high as you think it is. It's it's absolutely crazy, but just packed people to people, people everywhere. But Singapore is really probably my favorite country I've ever visited and toured and performed. It's oh my god, I just rave about it. I wrote a song about it actually. I oh. love I love that. I love everything about Singapore. It's so beautiful there. Are you still with um, Postman and Jukebox, Ariana? Oh, yeah. You never leave Postman and Jukebox. Okay. So PMJ is really a collective. You know, it's um, it's very much a family collective uh, in the way of I'll do a few tours and then I'll go in uh, and do my own tours. Um, I'll do my own burlesque reviews or cabarets and then uh, come back and do a couple more PMJ tours, this and that. So, um, you know, it's really sort of a rotating cast, a rotating family. But, uh, but yeah, I will, I'll probably be in PMJ for the rest of my life, <laughs> as long as they'll have me. So just for our listeners and viewers who don't yeah. know who Postmodern Jukebox are, could you mm -hmm. explain to us? Of course, of course. Yeah, PMJ is... Uh, I would call us a, a retro vintage band. Um, we started online uh, in Scott Bradley's basement. Scott Bradley's the founder of, of Postmodern Jukebox. And uh, we started out by doing videos uh, basically in his kitchen or in his basement with a bunch of musicians coming together and posting videos online on YouTube. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the videos started going viral. Um, we take... Uh, pop songs and rock songs uh, from the modern era. And then we sort of transform them into something more Gatsby. Um, 
or retro vintage, something uh, along those lines. And uh, I guess that really resonated with people because uh, all of a sudden we started getting millions of views on our YouTube and now it's passed over a couple of billion and now we've toured five continents and now here we are. <laughs> when did that phenomenon start for you all? Yeah, it started, well, pretty early, uh, probably about 2014, because if we did our first Australian tour uh, and and tour in Singapore and in Asia in, to, in 2015, then it had to be about 2014, 2013 is when it really started shifting, right? So, you know, the videos had like a couple thousand views, this and that. It was it was good, but it wasn't it. And then all of a sudden videos started going viral, probably around 2013, 2014. And then it started kind of snowballing this, you know, big viral um, uh, momentum that was happening. And uh, and then I came into the band uh, about 2014 um, and I started touring. And even then, you know, we were doing shows for maybe about like a couple hundred people, which was great. I mean, God, that, that was huge for us. It was incredible. Um, and then the next year after that, we were playing Radio City Music Hall. So like all of a sudden it just went shoop like that. <laughs> so I was really there, to, uh, you know, uh, PMJ was already kind of on the brink of getting very famous uh, when I was just starting. But I really got to see sort of the before and after where it was popular, but it didn't, you know, really blossom uh to as big as it got until about a year into us performing uh performing around the the world and then it just kind of spiraled into something crazy so yeah it's been about been about six years we were amazed because we booked the tour in 2015 and i think we sold over a thousand tickets yeah it was yeah, a big auditorium it was we yeah. were surprised ourselves i mean you didn't like i think watching the videos do not do justice for the live mm, entertainment. I appreciate that. Yeah, we take a really, I mean, we take a lot of pride in live entertainment anyway, just because all of our YouTube videos are live. But when we perform live in front of a crowd, that's where we really get to um, have this very immersive experience with our audience and take them back in time and have this very sort of retro feeling. For People dress up, people are wearing top hats and and vintage dresses and I mean, it's amazing and all over the world it's like that I mean every country we go to people are they're just they're very uh, passionate about about that kind of music so so the live performances really they're very very fun yes I remember we had a contest to get the fans to dress up so if you dress up you know you win a CD you win a meet and greet with you know and Ariana that year Scott Bradley came on tour in 2015 you remember yeah. that my I do, because that was when he was still, you know, he still um, will come on tours, but he's mostly focused on curating the online videos. So he has to stay put uh, and he can't go on these three month tours. Uh, but that was when he was still the pianist uh, for the tours in every tour. Uh, there was no other pianist in, in PMJ. It was just Scott. So, yeah, that was a while ago. It was really wild. You know, and yeah. he came out, you know, to do the meet and greet and everybody just, you know, the fans just flocked to, you know, to the, um, yeah. to the foyer. It was just. Yeah. They're memories. amazing fans, especially in Singapore. God, it, they're so fun. It's just the most fun, fun, fun concert. One of the most fun we've ever played for sure. Thank you. And we just, you know, looking forward to have PMG back. 
Yeah, us too. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Now, what I'm, I've always been wondering, you know, at the back of my head is, how is the process of, you know, selecting the songs that yeah. eventually becomes the videos that you record? How is yeah. that process like, Ariana? That's a great question. I mean, I can only speak from personal experience. Um, so as far as Scott and I are concerned, it's usually a conversation between us. Um, he is hilariously brilliant in in the choices that he makes. So when we first met each other, um, you know, he knew that I was sort of in that very cabaret burlesque Jessica Rabbit world. And we really wanted to do something that was very in that vein, in that style. And uh, he said, what about no diggity? And I was like, what the I was like, really? No diggity? Okay, sure. I, I love that song. It's great. But I was like, like from the 90s? Okay. And then it just turned out to be so sensational. Like I didn't even hear his arrangement before I got there. I was in New York and I... Um, I, I literally just came into his uh, living room and he was like, let me just play this for you. I think it'll be cool. And I was like, great. That sounds great. <laughs> and that's kind of how that started. And then some of them start with uh, artists who uh, will be a part of PMJ and reach out to him and say, hey, I have this idea. Uh, let's do this song. I love this song. Bad Guy by Billie Eilish song. Um, I just heard it on the radio and I thought it was bloody brilliant. And uh, so I just texted this guy. I was like, we have to do this song, like 100%. He's like, yes, absolutely. So then that, and then he came up with this tango style cover of it. It was just beautiful. Yeah. So it's really, he's very collaborative in that way. Um, in the way of he will take what makes you uh, special and he will try to form an arrangement out of, you know, what makes you very uh special and interesting and, and your vocal style. Uh, and he'll try to sort of cater the arrangement to that, which is really nice. Lady Gaga and Billie Eilish, have they heard your versions of their songs? Specifically about Lady Gaga and Billie Eilish. Um, but I do know that Beyonce has retweeted our videos and uh, Celine Dion, Megan Trainer, the Backstreet Boys, George Michael was my favorite. Oh my God. We did a cover of his uh, last Christmas and then his Instagram retweet. I was like, oh my God, that was because he's my favorite musician, like pretty much of all time uh, with very rare exceptions. So, so that was kind of like, I could a die happy moment. Um, yeah. A lot of celebrity. It's, it's really lovely because Sometimes certain artists are weird uh, about people covering their music, you know, the royalties and this and that. Uh, but a lot of these artists just, you know, they think that the arrangements or the vocal uh, performance is so inventive or they see tap dancing and they're just like, this is, you know, this is so cool. And then they end up uh, supporting it and, and, and uh, giving it a shout, which is really amazing. It's really a genius to add the tap dancing in. It is. Yeah. It's a very, what's funny, actually, it's, it, it's, you would think it is, but it's actually a very thriving art, but it has a very intimate community that knows uh, how thriving it is, right? So it's it's sort of like cabaret in that way. Um, Sarah Reich, our tap, our, our queen of tap, uh, and I have really bonded over this because we have basically devoted our lives to the art forms that were sort of lost from another era that we're sort of bringing into this uh, into this modern world, you know, but especially 
tap dancing, uh, PMJ has been, been so wonderful, um, for providing tap dancing a platform to be seen by millions of people. I mean, that's just something that we didn't even think was possible before. Um, and, and now it happened, which is very, very cool. And whose idea was that, Ariana, to bring the tap dancing element into the, into the scheme of um, postmodern jukebox? Quite certain it was Scott Bradley's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he really, especially in the beginning, um, was, was very, very, I mean, with every arrangement, um, he's obviously uh, very involved in the creative process. Um, but I think especially in the beginning, all of those first initial ideas of what about tap? What about this? What about that? I think that was that could certainly be attributed to him. What's the best compliment you've received from performing these songs from the fans? And The best compliment is that they keep coming back. I mean, that's really the best compliment we can receive is, you know, it's like maybe you'll buy a ticket once, but you won't buy a ticket three, four times. Some of our fans, and it's always different. The show is always different. It's never the same show because we always rotate the cast and there's so many different songs and, and uh, arrangements for, for people to enjoy, even if they've seen the show before. But yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest thank you that we've received is that people just continue to to, to sell out our shows and watch our videos and as far as the best compliment I've ever received, um, well, I think that I particularly love when wives of husbands that I don't know if you've ever seen my act in the show, but a lot of the times I will, uh, I will get a little cheeky and very close and personal with the gentlemen in the audience. And you would think that so, you know, most people would think that, you know, wives or girlfriends would get really weird about that or they get, but the funniest thing is when I'll get these messages after the show from the wife. Thank you so much. That was so funny. I posted it online. That was my husband's anniversary present. And that just is so hilarious when that happens because, you know, they're, they're all uh, enjoying seeing their husbands get a good rise. Get a good embarrassing laugh. <laughs> okay. Your father is a very famous actor. My husband, um, you know, he's American. When I told him, uh, Ariana Savalas, and she was here during, you know, Postmodern Jukebox. And he was telling me, definitely the daughter of Telly Savalas, right? And I reached out to you and I said, oh my God, you know, how awesome was that? Oh, thank you. That is so sweet. That's so nice that you're a fan. You don't seem old enough to be a fan of my father's. That's very... No, we all know the shows. So my yeah. gosh. That's it's, amazing. You know, that's the amazing thing about, you know, um, American television. It travels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it really... It's, it's one thing that, you know... I mean, there's so much wonderful art from all around the world. Um film and, and, and plays. And, but I think there's something really spectacular and, and just brilliant about American cinema and, uh, and the films that have come out of, uh, Hollywood are just, I mean, absolutely brilliant. So yeah, I agree there for sure. Now, can you tell us about your Hollywood upbringing? Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I could, I could certainly, uh, I could certainly tell you, but it's probably not as, uh, it would, 
I didn't know it was interesting until uh, much later in my life. Um, because when you're a kid, you just think that's entirely normal. Um, you think it's entirely normal to live in a hotel <laughs> and not in a house. Uh, you think it's normal, um, you know, for every person to, to know your father and, you know, hear your last name and immediately, you know, it's just, but when we were kids growing up, it was just, you know, we didn't know anything different. So it, there wasn't anything to compare it to. I think that it wasn't until, you know, my dad died and then we moved to Minnesota. Um, and if you know anything about Minnesota, uh, compared to Hollywood, um, it's very down to earth, very, very relaxed. People are very, um, friendly and, and very earthy and, and very kind. It's just a very, very different scene than, than like Hollywood, this and that. And I don't think I really realized like how crazy our upbringing was until I went there. And we really, you know, because my mom wanted us to grow up very normal. She didn't want us to grow up, uh, in Hollywood surrounded by a bunch of kids, celebrities, you know, doing dumb stuff and getting into trouble. And, you know, she wanted us to have like a normal, Kind of wow, upbringing. Good and, on your mom. Uh, yeah, she made the right decision too, because that was the best thing she could have done for us after our dad died for sure. Um, yeah, so then from from eight years old on, I lived a very, very normal life um, in Minnesota and just went to school and did musicals and did plays and this and that. And it wasn't until I was about like 18, because when he died, it was just, I was really young. And then when I was a teenager, there wasn't like, we didn't have YouTube, you know? So by the time YouTube came around, all of a sudden, um, I was able to really Google my dad in a way that I hadn't been able to really, you know, unless we went through old tapes that we had or VHS tapes and this and that, um, you know, and I had seen a few of, of Kojak and this and that, but I didn't really know, I didn't really know how famous he was until I was about 20. Like, and then I started really Googling him and, and watching Dean Martin roast him in a comedy special. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, you see your dad getting, you know, made fun of by Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. All of a sudden you're like, God, you were really famous. Jesus. I didn't even realize. Like, and so it really took me until I was in my twenties even to, to really know how crazy it was. Um, yeah, but you know, but most of my childhood seemed pretty, pretty normal. Honestly, it was. It didn't. You know, there were a lot of very glamorous elements to it. But when you're living in it, it you know, just kind of seemed like normal life. But was your dad with you all the time in the hotels? Oh, yeah. Or was he working all the time? All okay. the time. Yeah, and we were always with him. That's a thing. It's like he. I think that my my brother was one of the first children to ever be invited to like a white house dinner. And I don't think he was invited. I think that my dad just like forced him to come, <laughs> forced him there to allow the kid to, to come to, to the white house. because I don't think that was allowed, but he was so crazy about us. He was so obsessed with us that we just went everywhere with him. So it really wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of time apart. Um, in the, in the very short time we had him, Uh, we had him quite a bit, which was wonderful. And you posted a very nice picture on your website uh, with Tom Jones. and um, Oh, yeah, I forgot that's on my website. That's so great. He's amazing. You yeah. should post some more pictures. You know, people just love these moments, you know, when you capture yeah. the moments. 
It just, that was an amazing night with Tom. Tom actually came and uh, was that George performed. Hamilton? It was George Hamilton. Yeah, he yes, very so they handsome. Came I have to, to one see. of my shows. Oh. I know he li- he looks really great. It's so funny. A lot of people make fun of him for his orange skin, but he actually, in person, he looked very very handsome. And Tom Jones doesn't look a day over forty five. I mean, he's just, and his voice is still literal perfection. It's like pitch perfect perfection his tone his range he has everything that he had when he was 30 years old it's just unbelievable but that that picture what year was um, that so that just helped me understand god that was a couple that was only a couple years ago i think it was only about three years ago or so and uh i met tom through a mutual friend of ours um and he came to my show in beverly hills i was doing a show in beverly hills and he came and it was my birthday and somebody, <laughs> it was so funny because he was sitting sort of in the back and, um, you know, people obviously knew he was there, but didn't want to draw attention to himself and this and that. And then uh, they were singing me happy birthday. And I don't know, do you know who Dave Cos is? Yes. The saxophone player. Yeah, he's amazing. Very, very dear friend. Um, and he knows Tom very well. So he started egging him on to sing me happy birthday. And I was dying. I was absolutely dying. I was like, I don't know what the hell is happening in my life right now. Um, But then all of a sudden Tom starts singing happy birthday to me. And then he goes up my band. I just uh, finished my set. And um, so then my band was still on stage and he came up on stage um, and just, I think he sang about three or four songs something like that. I just impromptu randomly. And I was like, I can die happy now. This is the most amazing birthday (laughs) that's ever, or one of the best days ever. It was just incredible. But that photo was taken at a show in Beverly Hills and George Hamilton happened to be there. Right. Yeah. So I also had, you know, George Hamilton isn't a friend, but I had met him uh, through a mutual friend, and then he found out about my show and also came along with Tom uh, to the show, which was really, yeah, it was lovely. They were extremely supportive. That was so sweet. <laughs> Tom Jones know you did? I'm sure he did, yeah. I, you know, I haven't spoken with him about it, but um, I'm quite sure that they must have crossed paths mm. at some point. It's Hollywood's very small, so I would be surprised if they didn't. Um, new album. Last year, right? Sophisticated um, Lady. Yeah, so I released that um, with a few extra um, sort of intimate acoustic uh, bonus tracks. And I was actually supposed to release a full record, um, a full studio record in uh, March of 2020. Um, it was supposed to to be out, and we had to postpone it because of COVID. You know, I want to talk about your incredible um, acting career as well that's so kind (laughs) that's too kind so you know you have so much you know we just saw you at that one moment in singapore like you know i've got to know you through your phenomenal burlesque you know shows and your singing as well thank you but um you know the acting when i was doing you know looking through i said oh my god criminal minds I love <laughs> yeah, that show. Oh God, that was an eternity ago. I love that show. That was a highlight of my career to be on that show because I love, oh my God. I mean, 
Mandy Patangwin was on that show. Um, who else was on that show that I loved? Joe Montagna, Matthew Gray Goobler, uh, so many, Paget Brewster, so many brilliant actors on that show. Um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And who did you um, but play? That was, I played a young girl um, who was a hitchhiker named Bobby. And uh, she got into the wrong truck at the wrong time and uh, got abducted. And uh, it was a very, yeah, it was a very emotional uh, appearance for sure. But, but I really look nothing like myself. It's so funny because that was, um, oh God, ages ago. It was right, it was before I started really having um a music career um and once that took off then i had to stop acting quite a bit because i was on tour so much um but i look so different it's so funny if you really watch the episode you'll see like my eyebrows are this big because you're so young right so young baby face just like yeah i was that was before i learned how to do my makeup it was a it was a different time (laughs) do they have the makeup artists to do all the hand they do okay. yeah they had to make me look dead too well spoiler i die in the in the end of it but um yeah they have all of the they make you white or or bruised or they do your makeup and yeah they were great they were great yeah but they they do everything for you would you ever <laughs> go like, back to acting very much so yeah i've always planned to i mean it's it, it's funny because i think at a certain point in your career you do really have to choose a focus, right? Because when I was first starting out, my focus was pretty much anywhere that would hire me. That was my, you know, I just wanted to act. I wanted to perform. I wanted to sing. I wanted to dance. I just wanted to make art. That was it. I just wanted to be an artist and I didn't care where I just needed to, you know, but the thing is it's, it's, it's so unbelievably competitive and it's so cutthroat and it's so, it's like we so many people have told me and I've told this now to younger artists. It's like, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it, do not do it because it's just, it is as bad as people say it is, you know, it is, you know, it, it is wonderful as it is tragic. Sometimes you are just wearing your heart on your sleeve and you are going out there and it's very feeling very exposed. Um, So at that time in my life, I was just, you know, I was splitting my focus into so many places, acting and singing that. But because it's so competitive, I wasn't able to actually give 100 percent to any one part of it. So I had to make this decision um, then to really, you know, my my music career was sort of starting to do was before PMJ. um, I started performing and then that kind of caught on and I started doing these tours and these cabaret tours. And then that started gaining this momentum. And I was like, I have to just, I have to do a hundred percent focus on this because if I'm 50% here and 50% here and everybody else a hundred percent in one place, then I'm just, no matter how much talent somebody has, you're always going to miss out. So I had to make that decision. And I think it was a very good decision, <laughs> but it worked out for the best for sure. But uh, acting's always been a huge part of my life. I actually start. I started out as an actress um, in musicals and plays. That's where I, you know, I had my training was as an actress um, studying Shakespeare in in London, um, studying acting in in Los Angeles, uh, and and that's how I got my start. So um, so hopefully that will be incorporated into my career somehow. But. Uh, it's been, just been all tours all the time for the past five years, which has been wonderful. 
Definitely. I'm, I'm so glad that you, you know, just decided to focus. Yeah, I think you can be a, tr- you know, a double, triple threat. Um, but you also need to have that focus, you know, or at least in my experience, that was what changed my career is having that focus and, uh, and really just putting your nose to the wire and not getting distracted by anything else and just making that happen. I want to just find out from you, since there's been four or five months of us being stuck at home, how are you making use of this precious time? Well, I have um, been collaborating uh, with some of my dear friends. Uh, my uh, friend Juan Pablo de Pache, he's on a show. Um, he's a brilliant actor, singer. Um, on Netflix, the Fuller House is the new uh, version of it. It's on Netflix, and he plays the most hilarious character. He's so brilliant. Um, and he does this, uh, mini series, um, that he wanted me to act in. So, uh, I collaborated with him and we did this, this wonderful scene and, uh, and, um, I've been writing music. I've been, uh, postmodern jukebox has done a few online shows. Um, so we've done some live streaming shows. I saw that, that. um, stage it, right? Stage it, yes, which has been a very interesting experience, um, you know, because it's a very intimate experience in a way that you don't, it's obviously not the same thing as performing for thousands of people, but um, it's it's a whole new platform and it's a whole new world. So yeah, we've really just been taking this time to, to write, to explore uh, new ways to make art in a way that you know, is creative and that wasn't possible maybe before, um, you know, because people still want art in their lives. They still want music in their lives and, and, uh, performances. And, uh, so we need to find creative and inventive ways to bring that to them with the, with the quality, um, that you experience from, from live shows. So that's been an interesting, uh, problem to solve for sure. But, uh, but that's what I've really been spending spending most of my time doing, yeah. Um, on the stage, it, I mean, was there a lot of fans coming in to yes. watch the stream? Okay. Crazy. Sold out like four times. We kept having to add more tickets because people, did, you know, we capped it at a certain amount and then more people wanted to come and more people wanted to participate. So it was shocking for us to see the amazing response from that was really, it was lovely. It was really, really lovely. So there's going to be, are there going to be more shows, more stage at shows? I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, we really have to, because it's a new platform and because all of us, especially at PMJ and even with my own solo uh, shows, the attention to detail that we put into live shows, um, we need to be able to translate that into uh stream shows that we can be very proud of. Right. And we don't want, we want the fans experience, uh, to be brilliant. Um, even if they're just sitting at home, you know, from their couch watching us, you know, on a live stream, we still, you know, are trying to find a way to curate that in, in in a way that we can be extremely proud of what we're putting out. Um, so I do believe that we will have shows in the future. Um, but, this is just a new platform for us. So we're discovering the way to make that really an incredible experience for our fans so that it's, you know, something they can really feel confident about showing up to and that they're going to expect a brilliant show. We are wondering, you know, how to do the streaming and 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's wild. Just, it's a new world. Yeah. I can really turn on my computer. So this is like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> it's so weird. It's such a weird time to be alive, but it'll become the new normal. I think, you know, we'll just have to find a way to, 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 to make this as beautiful or at least, um, as beautiful as it can be. Oh, my dog wants to say hi. He's, he's begging, <laughs> he's begging up at the, this is Ludwig. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's so nice to see you. Oh my goodness. This is so lovely. And hopefully we'll be able to actually see each other in person soon. Send our regards to the PMJ family. Like, Oh, I will. I will. They all miss Singapore. We can't wait to come back. And I have to bring my burlesque show to Singapore too. I can't I've always been dying to, cause we've been touring around Europe and around America, but my next my next big adventure, I want it to be in Asia for sure. Thanks, Ariana, for the catch-up. We look forward to having Postmodern Jukebox back in Singapore and seeing your burlesque show. For fans new to Postmodern Jukebox, you can visit their YouTube channel and check out their arrangements of rehashing today's hot hits with their own unique twist. If you're a new viewer and listener of Words and Music and you want to find out more about us, you can visit our website at lamcproductions.com. In our next episode, we speak to double all-star drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race, Manila Luzon. That's going to be real fun. So until next time, thank you for listening. And this is Loretta Alabans for Words and Music. <laughs>